My name's John Downs. I'm the founder of the Centre for Fortune Zoology, and you're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Paranormal UK's Inside the Goblin Universe. I am one of your hosts, Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden, the other host. The other host, and we're, we're all here, and we are continuing our show that we started last week with Mr. Paul Sinclair. Paul, are you there, my friend? I am, uh, Ron, yes, and uh, it's great to be back to uh, discuss a few more things with you chaps. Well, I'll tell you what, our show is just an hour uh, an hour show right now under the new format. We're hoping to extend for to two hours, but uh, there's no way that we can encompass the, the, the tells that you need to tell in just one 60-minute spot. So we brought you back. You were very gracious to come back uh, for another show, and we're looking forward to getting into this. Uh, so last we left, Paul... We were dealing with a woman that reported a sighting of some 36 UFOs off the coast uh, in eastern England. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And if you want me to jump right into it, uh, I I will by all means. Our listeners, as well as the host, have been patiently waiting (laughs) for uh, about 168 hours to hear the rest of the story. (laughs) So let us hear it. Paul, 36 UFOs, a column of energy. Go for it. Okay, then. Okay, well, the, the, the sea boiling, you know, yeah, all boiling. this kind of stuff. We need to find out what's going on here, Paul. Yeah, I'd like to find out myself, but uh, it's not for one to train, uh, Ron. So here, here we go. Okay. Uh, it was September the 15th, uh, 2009 is the date that the lady rang me to say that uh, she'd got this fantastic story to tell me. In the book, the new book, I've called them uh, June and Ron for for to save their anonymity. They live, uh, I, I, we, we had a 10-minute segment before we finished last week, so some of this might be a bit repetitive. But uh, my, as part of research into the book, The Truth Proof, the Bridlington Free Press placed an article for me asking if I would, uh, when I were asking for information of unusual events around eastern North Yorkshire. And one of the calls or that I got back was from this old lady. And she told me that she'd... Uh, seen 30 to 40 glowing boomerang-shaped objects from her window, her porch window, and she lives in a property that's directly on the coast, one of 16, but are isolated, uh, on September the 17th, 2009. She didn't know the date. I've managed to trace the date due to the army presence that was on the beach days afterwards. Now... Uh, when she first started telling me uh, that there was all these objects, I just imagined that they were going to be three or four. I mean, I, I never in my wildest dreams imagined she was going to say 30 to 40. One point that I got wrong last week, which I'd like to correct early on into this, is she said that she watched them from 10 past 11 till close to midnight, which is correct. And at around 11.30, the objects started to peel away from the circle at, at about 45 degree angle and, and continue going up and disappear. And I said in ones and they didn't, they, they peeled away in pairs. Uh, just one minor detail that because at some point in future I might get pulled up on it and say I've changed right. my story. I, <laughs> I didn't have information in front of me uh, at the time. So, as I say, she, she doesn't know what compelled her to, to get, get up and go to her porch at 10 past 11. But when she did, she could see them 
quite close into the shore, and they're in a big circle, and she says 30 to 40 of them. She shouted Ron to come and have a look. Uh, uh, Ron's words were, oh, my God, and he looked at them for a few minutes and went upstairs frightened, and she says, uh, she says, and he said, he put his head under the pillow. He didn't want to know. Now, these objects were totally silent, and she believes... She, she didn't get any voices in her head or anything. She never said that. But she believes that there was some kind of message because she never goes to her porch. She knows she locks the door. She, when, after they've watched the TV on a night, they go to bed. It's, it's a ground floor flat. They're, they're in blocks of right. four. And um, literally, as I said last week, if you, at high tide, if you were good at throwing stones, you could hit the sea. What's, also, what's interesting is where she saw them, Wilsthorpe Beach is very long and flat. And Rob Fletcher, who is the guy who employs the bait diggers, tells me at, at high tide, if you put chesties on, as you know, uh, big waders, right. you could actually walk out a considerable distance. So what these objects were doing in, in above the water... Is, is quite a mystery because I don't even think they could have been concealed if one had have gone into the water at the, at the location that they were seen. Uh, so that was, her, that was her initial story about these 30 to 40 that peeled away in pairs. And she said, just as she finished the story, she said, oh, and the next day, she says, they were all over the beach. And I, I started to thought, what does she mean? Are they back? <laughs> and I asked her, and she says, no, the army. She says, the army was everywhere. She says they came in them big helicopters. Uh, her words, I'll, I'll get back to what helicopters were in a bit. She's, they came in big helicopters, landed on the beach, trucks came, and everybody was ordered off the beach, and they stayed for a few nights. She said and they had big lights sweeping the sea like they had in the war. I think it's similar to the dragon lights you see on, on helicopters, I would imagine, police, police right. helicopters. But she assured me that it was total silence. So I received that story and I, I sort of sat on it because I thought, I haven't really got anything to go with this and it sounds too fantastic to be true. And then I paid a visit to the harbour and I'm talking to, uh, as I say, Rob Fletcher, the guy who's worked on the harbour lots of years. He's 66 years old, uh, lots of experience at sea. And he just suddenly, we were talking and he, he said, oh, lads are fishing up at the bait digging up at Willsthorpe. They go, when the tides are favourable, there's a lot of good bait to be dug. And it dropped out this... They were up there a few years ago, and they witnessed some black triangles entering the sea. They saw, they saw one in daylight and one during the night. And they got uh, pulled up by the army and ordered off the beach in no uncertain terms that if they did not move, they would be arrested. Now, the, sort of the penny dropped. I thought, I wonder if this is the same. It's got to be. And I asked where it was. He says, opposite the flats at Willsthorpe. So it sort of validated the old lady's uh, claim of the, the army presence. Uh, the only difference was that the bait diggers claimed that they'd seen triangles, and she, she, she's adamant, and her husband was, that these were glowing blue and white. They looked like glass boomerangs. So we've got two people... Uh, two uh, separate witnesses saying a very similar thing with an army presence in the days that followed. And close wow. To, yeah, well, close, close to where they, they the flats are, there's there's a, a small run-down boat compound 
uh, run by the yacht club. And I say run down, it's only a camping area and the, the catamarans, they're not they're nothing exotic. Right. And I've spoke to people at the yacht club because I was, obviously I sent some freedom of information requests in and I was told that everybody were warned beforehand that there were going to be this top secret military exercise and they can tell me nothing. Well, I can I can tell you with with certainty that the people at the yacht club whose slipway was used by the army vehicles to enter the beach uh, knew nothing about what they knew was when the, the army vehicles arrived. The RNLI, that's the lifeboat, uh, their permanent member of staff said the first he knew of the, the military exercise was at four in the afternoon when he was bringing his son home from school and they ran to the seafront to see uh, two Chinooks and two Lynx helicopters travelling up the beach and landing at South Shore at four in the afternoon hardly seems like top secret to me. Um, you know, I mean, they went there, uh, I would have thought they just went after these objects had been seen. Now, what, what is also interesting is in from about 2002 to 2013, I ran a website called ILF UFO. Intelligent Light Forms is what it stood for, the ILF. And due to heavy work commitments in 2009, I was documenting lots of UFO reports. However, I'd not gone into them in great detail. I'd, I'd visited a few people, but as I say, work commitments stopped me getting into some heavy detail with with the reports but they're all there uh, a police officer's UFO sighting from a place called Fraysthorpe which is the neighbouring village to Willsthorpe and we're talking like a mile away Is that is that south of that or if you were looking at the map it would be the southern end of that or is it south, north? Uh, yeah yeah, yeah it is and, and uh, is, I'm not sure if we touched on it last week but he was driving down the road uh I, I wish I could think of name at road, you know, the actual road number. It, it was driving down the road in his patrol car and a car approaching from opposite direction suddenly stopped and his headlights dimmed. He pulled up to assist and a large black triangle lifted from the hedges or from behind the other side of the hedges <laughs> uh, and flew out to sea. So I got that report, and that was logged on my website in 2009. My website closed in 2013. The internet, fabulous as it is, archived the pages. So I cannot add or take away anything from these stories to make this story that I right. received in 2014 any more exotic. They're there, you see, Brian. Yes, it's, so a great, is, it's a great source to, to validate that I, this was done then. I have not touched it since. Nothing has happened to it. Yeah, uh, during mid-September, on the internet, on the ILF UFO website, I also had a report from a lady called Eileen Hobson. And uh, I know her husband, Eddie Hobson, as well. And they live in a place called Barmston, which is three miles away from Willsthorpe. And all these locations, Brian and right. Ron, uh, are all very remote. There's nothing but fields in between each each one. Willstock's probably the most isolated. I'm and actually looking at this on on a map while we're talking about a Google Earth, and it is it's pretty much farmland, um, yeah. pocked with little houses here and there, but massive space in between. There's no you know that's not really a community community. Um, little little spots and that's it. That, so. that, that's yeah. correct. How close is the uh, closest military base? 
Well, the, bear in mind, Ron, that the military base that I've been doing a lot of research on, and, and not I wouldn't say working around, but doing a lot of uh, sky watches and been going up there a lot. Clo- that one closed, RAF Bempton closed in, in the 1970s. Oh, uh, I see, okay. That, that's the one that was used by a satanic cult after it closed. Yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> I have questions yeah, about sure, that sure. too. <laughs> Having said that, 11 miles away, as the crow flies, you've got RAF Staxton Wold, which is the oldest operational military radar base in the world. And it's only a small radar base, but it, it, it is a fact that it's the oldest operational base in the world. And that's 11 miles away from me. Um, I don't know whether that's any bearing on this, but you would have think you would have thought that they'd have known about the activity. Now, where was I? Um, yes, Eileen Hobson said this is the unusual thing. Eileen said she got up to use the toilet uh, in the early hours of September. She thinks it were about September the seventeenth, and she was looking out of her window. They, they'd look out onto farmland, and the, the upstairs window in her bathroom. And I've stressed this in the book: is clear glass. There's nobody going to look in. Right. Uh, there's no need, no need for opaque glass. And she looked towards Willsthorpe, and she saw a huge circle of yellow to orange glowing lights. I asked her if she thought there was one solid circle, and she believes that they were all separate. Um, she watched them. Only thing of interest, the only bit of light pollution on that road is the, the light at the roundabout of Willsthorpe. There's no other street lights on the road or anything. It, there's just a roundabout midway between Willsthorpe and Bridlington, and that has a light on the middle of the roundabout. She said, I could see the light of the roundabout. I, I get to that point because her husband, Eddie, says, oh, she must have seen the roundabout like she's mistaken. She says, and, but to, to the right of it, over Willsthorpe, there's a huge glowing circle of light. She says, and I've, I've lived here all my life. I'm not, I'm not likely to mistake the light from the, light, uh, the roundabout. I know exactly what I was looking at. It troubled her. She went back to bed. She got up a short time later, and they were still there. Only this time she thinks they were a bit closer and lower to the ground. And she she believes they were watching her. She 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 doesn't know how. And it's all her story almost echoes the old ladies at Willsthorpe because she believes that they were aware, and she was aware of them, and they were aware of her. Um, so that that was Eileen's sighting, and then she had another one. Uh, she called me with the, the. She called me actually after she'd had the the second sighting. I don't think I would have got. The, the the other if if she hadn't have had two sightings I don't think she'd have bothered calling and once again she was at Willsthorpe totally different things that she claimed she saw she saw two ice cream cone shaped objects pointed at the top that she claims landed in a field at the back of the flats at Willsthorpe uh, so like a reverse mind, triangle almost like a, a, a yeah that, that's pretty bear in, mind, bear in mind Brian this was reported yeah on the website in 2009 so uh, and, and I sort of keep stressing this because it's brilliant because I know any sceptics I don't know how they're going to it doesn't mean I'm telling truth but if I've created some kind of elaborate story then right. I've planned it since 2009 to tell <laughs> it <Yes. laughs> yeah there's a lot of forethought in this story my friend <laughs> seriously you went into the future to that's go back right. to the past um, you know, there's a there's a 
in within the same time frame, there's a trawler man called, well, well, we'll just call him Ted, and he was off fishing off Barmston and um, Wilsthorpe, and he claims that military jet, one military jet, hit his boat as in hit the sound and right. the, the roar so low that it shook their boat in the water and they thought they were going to capsize. And when they looked in the distance, it was chasing something that was just coloured red, like a red bar. Uh, you know, we, and we've got all these reports. I've got reports of, of glowing spheres of light travelling from Flamborough Head down towards Wilsthorpe, and where the witness describes... She saw three travelling from Flamborough Head. She saw two coming up from Hull, and they were going into the middle, and her description was that they was meeting something that looked like a black yacht sail in the sky. Wow. All the, yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, you just, you sort of can't, you can't make this stuff up. You know, well, you could, but... You, uh, no, you uh, could uh, make just, it up, but there's way too much detail and more than just a few pieces of detail. This is an enormous type of... of, of story or you know in, in fact to, to make it into a story you'd have to have planned this as an author ron you probably know you've it takes a couple of years to write a book this had to have been planned and and thought out if this happened in 2009 you're, you're almost talking about almost as soon as the 2000 hit to get all this detail there's no way i mean yeah yeah that, that would be almost psychopathic to do something like that you know and, and no the the genuine details that are present very honest, very personal sounding. This is what and how people react to uh, the unexplained. Whenever people are confronted with the paranormal, this is the genuine response people have to that type of stimulus. So, yeah, I, 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 I take the story uh, completely at face value, and I'm glad that everything was archived to kind of show a chain of uh, evolution of this particular event. That, that's that's very true, Ron. You know, and not only that, the, I, I, as I said, my time was tight in two thousand and nine. I, I was earning quite a lot of money and chasing chasing money as I, I, I used to do at that time. But I did get out. I did get to speak to Eileen Hobson, uh, and they're, they're still live in Bridlington. I mean, these people can. Her husband's an accountant, a, a very successful accountant. They're not they're not fictitious people. They still live there. Uh, but what my point is. After after we'd had um, this discussion with Eileen, I spent a few evenings observing, and I never, because uh, the website was also receiving all these reports, and I never actually saw anything. But I went up onto the walls, which would overlook Willstop and the entire area. You could probably see 20 miles from where I was looking. But it was a foggy night, which sort of proved the, the amount of activity. I thought it was worth going out, even on a foggy night. And I noted a van that said "Police Scientific Investigations Unit" on it. No, was it black? <laughs> it was. It was white. If I'm being truthful, it had a it, it had a glass perspex dome on the top, like half a football. Right. Uh, and but, so I noticed that van, and we I was with a, a chap called Pete Masters, and we drove off the walls and thought we better go a bit closer to back of Willstorpe. One car followed me. Now, this is the truth on my children's lives, and you should never say that if you're going to... A followed me off the walls, and I didn't think it was following me. It was just following my van. Let's put it that way. There's one isolated bungalow in between where we were going to park to observe 
and nothing else. I took the wrong turn in the fog and turned into the drive of this bungalow. Uh, quite a long drive and isolated. I put the van in reverse. There's, there's only side mirrors on it. The car were behind me and it were parked. So it had stopped on the road. I couldn't. I were embarrassed and we'd missed, the, we'd missed a trick, me and Peter, because I said we must have really unnerved them people because obviously what's the chances of us pulling into that drive of the home they live in? We assumed they were going to turn into it. So we reversed out and drove off. Within 300 yards, I was at the place where I wanted to observe. It were a little single track pulling off the road. I, I don't recall what happened to the car. Yeah. When we pulled in the road, there was another police scientific investigations van parked where we were observing. Nobody in the van, unless they were in the back of the van or on foot. Now, once again, Ryan, Ron, I could be making this up, but it's there on the website, documented in 2009 and archived and cannot be moved or touched since I closed it in 2013. I do make reference to it. I'm really glad I did this. Uh, what the police scientific investigations van, vans mean, I really don't know. We know that there were a police officer sighting uh, in the same time period. Um, and I'm sure there must I've, I've Googled police scientific investigations van and I, I'm trying to find a van same as what, what I saw with the glass black perspex glass dome. It was actually similar to the cameras you get, security cameras. You know, the glass ones. Right, right, right. Uh, so I assume it was a camera. So th that were just all these little points sort of hint towards something of significance happening. Yeah, with the police officer report, I, I sent that to Gary Hesseltine here in the UK, who, who runs the UFO, day, um, UFO Truth Proof conferences here in the UK. Right. Uh, I've documented it once again, but he never got back to me, so I think he missed a trick there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it is an amazing story. I mean, we, I could go on and on and on, but if you want to talk about anything else, I'm quite... Uh, we're definitely going to go into it, but one question I have, and maybe it's because of... And I apologize, but sometimes us Americans are a bit brash. Um, no. Uh, what would the possibility of getting out of your vehicle, your car, and walking over to the van and knocking on the window saying, uh, you know, hey, I got a light, or um, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Just inquiring. I don't know. You know, I know it's no the, nonsense the, the, when I've been in the UK for the most part, but. There were no one in the van. Uh, we, uh, this, this van was, it only had two side windows and a windscreen. It was a solid panel van. There were nobody in, the, we couldn't see anyone in it. And oh, it was so saying this, this could have been parked there almost like with a camera rolling as a, as a third point the, or something the, like that. Yeah, yes, we think they were observing in the back of the van. Uh, oh, sorry about that. That's all good. Uh, that's them calling right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on to you, my friend. It's, it's, uh, so, so, no, I was going to say that one of one of my friends does um, he does uh, sky watching, and he's out of uh, he, I think he's a, he may be in PA or or that area, um, Boston, PA, and then they, they have one in Florida. But a lot of times he's caught things on. Um, he has amazing imagery. It's a PNK. Uh, uh, imagery on YouTube, they get really, really close images of the moon, and they they go into the sun, and they've caught anomalies in the sky. And what's re really interesting to this is he's gone outside and actually have seen black vans uh, staring, you know, standing outside his his home area and like kind of observing 
his house. Right. Yeah. In in the United States, it's more clandestine, isn't yeah. it? It's more oh, yeah. like a secret ops type of thing. But the vans that he's describing, that uh, Mr. Sinclair is describing, almost sounds like what we would call in the United States a forensic unit type of uh, a vehicle that they're there to collect some sort of tangible evidence. Agreed. Yeah. There were nothing. There were nothing sort of covert or secretive about right. the van. He, he said on the side, "Police scientific sure. investigation sure. unit." Yeah, you know, so. it does make you wonder. Uh, you know, but I, I know what your friend means about strange things happening. When I was looking into the missing people around Bempton, yes, uh, before one afternoon, uh, please forgive me if, if we did this, but I don't think we talked about it. Uh, I'm pretty useless with mobile phones. And <laughs> yeah, well, our daughter gave me an HTC phone. Uh, she'd got an updated one, and I went to have this phone unlocked. Right, and. Uh, it'll make sense this I hope in a, in a few minutes <laughs> we, we, as we left our house me and my wife and it was a very cold but sunny day uh, in 2014 I believe and across the other side of the road and it's a wide street fanning out at the bottom there's a guy leaning against a wall with his shirt off and he's he's got a strange texture to his skin almost like spam uh, but he's very muscular and you could see the blue veins in his arms, even though it didn't appear rippled, if that makes sense. And he bald head, and I thought, how odd this guy looks on a cold day sat. And he'd got a push bike in front of the side of him that was, had an old leather bag on it, and it didn't even look like it should have, should have been ridden on. And he saw me, and he shouts, I thought you were talking about the sun. He said, uh, you brought down the light, you know what you're doing. And I just and I thought you were on about the sunshine and he said it a few times and I thought I've never seen you before and you look a bit strange and I went, Yes, you enjoy the sun, mate. Not much more of it, it will get right. into water. <laughs> Off I goes round the corner and to put his phone unlocked. And when I when I come back from having the phone unlocked, uh, obviously that I'd left the phone with the people and I were probably 10, 15 minutes. This guy's on our side of the road now. And he's and I, but I knew it was him even though he had a dark brown jumper on and he had full wrap-round sunglasses on. He'd left his bike at the other side of the road. And I don't know what happened to me. I, I really don't because I was with my wife. We approached the corner and he knew I were there. He knew. He just turned round and he went, you know what you're doing. You have to stop. And I went, sorry? He went, you know you're bringing down the light. You must stop. And I sort of... He was saying all sorts of strange things and talking in riddles, but he weren't drunk or on drugs, or at least I don't think he was. And I couldn't work him out. And I should have just carried on walking, but I, I was sort of rooted to the spot. And he just kept telling me I was bringing down the light. And I knew what I was doing, and I had to stop. And he'd sort of got the measure of me. He knew. He knew everything. I, I just had to know everything I was thinking and knew how I was going to reply. And... At one point, because I'm a bit, I'm not a very tall guy, but I'm I'm never shy to, I've never been shy towards confrontation, right. and I've never been one, I've never been a person actually to go looking for it, but I'm not frightened to sort of get involved in it. Let's put it as politely as that. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm 54, and this guy, I, I'm trying to work his age out, but he, he got these wrap round glasses on, and he he wore a strange texture to his skin. It was almost like pale, like. Like a boiled egg, but a bit of pink to it. It was weird, no wrinkles. And 
he touched my wife's shoulder. Now, Mary would tell you this. I mean, I, I spoke about this uh, on, uh, to someone else, well, to, to, to Whitley, and he touched my wife's shoulder, and he knew, and I knew. He knew I, if I touched him, we were going to be rolling around the floor. Don't ask me what, what going off in his heads. Right. And he says, I'm not interested in her. I've come to tell you, you are bringing down the light. You have to stop. And then he, he moved his hand, and I just said to Mary, I says, look, come on, I says, we're going. And he's shouting at me all down the street. And I went inside, I got CCTV, and I flicked it on because he'd unnerved me that much. And it, he'd gone. I don't mean he'd vanished, he'd gone. I don't know where he'd gone. And Mary's a bit more observation observant than me, and she says, oh, oh, I need to stop. I asked him where he was from, and he said, Rickle. That's the word, Rickle. Rickle. I thought, well, I've never... Rickle, yes, R-I-C-C, I don't know how you spell it. Rickle, anyway. Turns out it's in North Yorkshire. Now, I thought, well, I don't know where that is, so off we go. As any road, we're off down the road, back home. My wife said to me, did you notice the bike? I said, no. She said, it had no brakes. She says, it didn't even have brake levers. So, all right. So I googled Rickle and found out it was in North Yorkshire, not that far away, probably 40 or 50 miles away from us. right. He's, he's travelled from Rickle on a bike with, with no, no brakes. Rest. I didn't notice it. Mary did. Now, the point I'm getting at is I was investigating the missing people. And the following week, the Bridlington Free Press had a front page cover and it said, Man Goes Missing at Bempton. And they called him Simon Hodgson. He's never been seen since. He just vanished. He's, he parked his camper van up, as he did in many places all around the country, because that's what his, what his passion was, uh, like, and, and did that kind of thing. But he's never seen, he parked at Bempton and never been seen since. However, Simon Hodgson was from Rickle. Now, it wasn't him that I spoke to because I saw the picture of the guy in the paper, but do, I just find these little synchronicities and... That's, and that's more than a synchronicity. I mean, you're just talking about a guy, a very strange individual who's approaching you, seems to know a lot about you, and is talking yeah, in riddles, yeah. but it's like you're bringing the light. You're bringing the light, almost like you're exposing stuff yeah. and exposing what's going on. You need to stop before you get hurt type of thing. Then the next yeah. thing you know, a man goes missing at a, a former Air Force base or, or there, and he's from yeah. Rickle. Uh, yeah, this, I asked the guy who was pressuring me, telling me I've got to stop bringing down the light where he was from. And the only that was about the only answer I got out of him, Rickle. And we, as I said, we Googled it, and but the following week, the Bridlington Free Press ran the story. Simon Hodgson, I think he were age 48, uh, has vanished. His, his motorhome, his camper van was found at uh, the RSPB Bird Reserve, which is 500, mi 500 miles, 500 metres away, approximately, from the old RAF base. And he'd never been seen since. Uh, I just find it amazing. And across the road from where all this little interaction took place is a barber's shop called John the Barber's. Right. And he came out, he came out a few days later and uh, spoke to me. And John says, that guy you were talking to the other day? I says, yeah. He says, because he, he owns the barber's shop and he also owns an, an hairdresser's that's linked to it. He says, we were all watching him. He says, sat with his shirt off, so unusual. And he just kept looking up at your house. My house would have been about... 200 yards away he says we knew we were waiting for somebody he says and soon as you came out he zoned in on you he says did you know him i said i've never seen him in my life right he says well he was waiting for you uh you know and 
it just makes you wonder what what we don't know and what's happening. You know, all these strange yeah. things. Just jumping from that, I mean, we're probably not talking about half the stuff we agreed we'd talk about. But I, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's really interesting because um, this is where I, you know, like this is this is like the tail end of where I, I actually heard you on uh, Arizona Tramps Swampcast show um, on a Paranormal UK Radio Network, and I was just fascinated. I had like the, the questions started flying, but I didn't know that your full background, um, you know, the experiencing what you experienced with your dad earlier, um, having some interactions with these these beings in in, in a weird way. Um, you, you, you seem to, there seems to be a lot of people in that area or your area or in that within a, a certain distance that are having interactions with either be it beings or now they'll tell you that the governments are working with these creatures or it's the government pretending to be whatever. Everybody's having an interaction. This person that you met that was like, you know, you got to be careful. Stop doing what you're doing could have been. And I'm not going to use the term guardian angel because I don't know if I don't believe that these are angels. But this could have been your um, your confidant or the person that's that that was designated to look after you if you had some kind of interaction with these people. And he was warning you: you're getting too close to things. You need to back off because it, it, it's just bizarre. I mean, I, I would have that CCTV uh, going 24/7 after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. That, that's a good point, there, Brian. Let's let's continue on this line of uh, of reasoning and questioning. So, when we talk about aliens, but we also talk about things like werewolves and other kind of strange uh, cryptids in, in this particular area. Yes. What's going on? Do you think, there, Paul? What do you are, are they all from the same type of? Uh, Dimension? Are they all extraterrestrials that are brought here from for some sort of you know from some sort of alien craft? What do you make of this whole thing? Where is the genesis of these creatures? Where do they come from? I don't know. I mean, a good point. I mean, I'd never dare say that they were from an alien craft. Uh, I've, I've just simply no knowledge of that. That's uh, right. As as far as uh, the the werewolf story goes, the Flixton werewolf, which is the Flixton, Flixton, by the way, is probably as close a stone's throw away from RF Staxton Wall, which we've just been writing, uh, talking about. So they're literally within half a mile of each other. Uh, so about ten to eleven miles from here, as the crow flies. The okay. Flixton story has been around for nine hundred years, um, and a, a refuge was built at Flixton to protect travellers from an infestation of savage beasts. At least they be devoured. Uh, that's that's what the 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 old texts say. It doesn't say werewolf. It, uh, wolves were prevalent in them times, but it says wolves and savage beasts. Now that doesn't mean a werewolf. Uh, I, I I appreciate that, and I do think that werewolf is a is a is such a provocative word because people people associate the word werewolf with silver bullets and the full moon. <laughs> And, I, and when you and not, when you talk the UK, it's American Werewolf in London and the Slaughtered Lamb. You don't happen to have a pub there called the Slaughtered Lamb, do you? Oh no, no. <laughs> I do. I do believe that um, this thing exists, and I don't think it's flesh and blood. I don't for one second. And I, I, I spoke on Vic Cundish's uh, Dogman Radio, and I've said the same. I've no, I've no axe to grind with anybody who believes that, and and I, might, I could be wrong. But here in the UK. All we've got is 
cattle and sheep and deer, pheasants and rabbits. And sheep are easy prey, as everybody knows, and Flixton's got a lot of sheep. And I don't see no carcasses and uh, some apex predator that's uh, decimating wildlife around Flixton. What we've got over uh, hundreds of years are reports of this strange creature with what's allegedly glowing red eyes uh, that's like an upright dog. Um, and it's been reported. When I first started reports, <coughs> excuse me, when I first started looking into the Flixton werewolf, I found myself at the village of Flixton quite often. And I spoke to this old chap, uh, you know, <laughs> came straight out with that. You know, I said, he asked me what I was doing and I told him I was researching an old story. And he, he pretended he'd never heard anything about it. And he, he didn't really elaborate, he didn't want to know, and that's the, the reaction I got from many people. And then as I searched more and did, did a bit more digging, I found out that Flixton did, in fact, used to be called Wolfland. Nice. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I know, Vic, and... Yeah. Um, it's and... true. It's, it's, I'm, I'm... Hello? Yeah, you're still. I'm, we're good. Yep. Well, I'm still here. I think. Uh, yeah. Just so our listeners know, we, we we because Paul's in the UK, we're in the US. That we we are doing this through the internet. I think we dropped still, out there, did we? No, I, a little bit. You may have dropped out a tad bit, so we'll pick it up from there and uh, bring you oh. back in. Yes. Yeah, so Flixton used to be called Wolfland. So armed with that bit of knowledge, I found myself back in Flixton. I don't know, a, a, a few months later, and I bumped into this old chap again. Or, quite getting on in years and he asked me how I was doing and I said I was still looking into the story and I told him that I'd found out that Flixton were called Wolfland. He said, oh, you've got that far, have you? I said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, like, he says to me, I've seen it. And I said, you what? He said, I've seen what you're calling the Flixton werewolf. I said, really? He said, I have. He said, I saw it as a small child with another chap on top of what's called Shack. He says, we were playing and it were, I think he said it between 9 and 9.30 at night, and they were up around some burial mounds called Shark Howe. Yeah, getting right back to what we talked about last time, this connection with, with, the, uh, with the burial mounds. Yes. No, 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 about the idea that there is something been going on here since, you know, the prehistoric times. There's, a, there's definitely a line, a lineage here uh, relating to the paranormal. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. He says... He said, we were up there, we were playing, it were late evening, he said, summer, we could do what we wanted, there were none of this worrying about anybody, uh, sexual predators on your children and all that kind of stuff. He says, you know, these were, this were the, 19, I think he said 1940s. Yeah. And he said, and we, we, suddenly, we were up, up against the burial mounds, there's seven burial mounds up there, Sharp How, it's known as a Barrow Cemetery. There are only mounds of earth, as, as you chaps will already know, uh, and we saw this thing leant against a tree, uh, crouched. He said and it was sort of crouched on its haunches with its back to the tree, looking at something in its hands. He said and we stopped in our tracks and we, we were trying to decipher as young boys what this was and what we were actually looking at when it just lifted its head up and looked at us. <laughs> and we turned and ran. Now, if that was a predator, an apex predator, that's... the that's prey that he's looking at, isn't it? As far as, you know, he's seen them run. It never pursued them. But he's carried that story for years. He, he gave me another story of some friends coming home from a place called Filey, which is probably about six miles away. 
uh, where this alleged Flixton werewolf came out of a dike that ran along the side of the road in front of the motorbike. They were uh, rider and passenger, and, and they saw it then. And then there's another story of... Flixton runs onto what's called the... The, the cars, I don't know if you know what cars mean, but it's, it means wetland, reeds right. and elder. And in, in, in 12,000 years ago, it was a lake. It was Lake Flixton. Uh, it's probably the best archaeological site in the world. In, in the UK is, the, is the, the Flixton cars. They found lots of artifacts down there. But uh, a farmer coming back along the, what's known as the Seema Drain, because it's all, it, obviously it's all wetland, put his hand over a gate and took to release a clasp and he claims a clawed hand put its hand on top of his didn't even see anything apart from the hand Whoa, wait, wait a minute wait wait time out uh, let's stop for what's so he puts his hand on a gate and then he feels a clawed hand put his hand on his on top claw. of his. he saw that and nothing happened up. after that nothing happened after that no uh it's, it's been seen as late as 2016 by a farmer at Falkton. Who, cla- uh, who claims that, uh, and I've, I've been to the farm, he's got a paddock and the, all these horses are in it. It's lovely, lush green land, ideal for grazing cattle and horses. And all his horses were, ran to one end of the paddock. And when they looked to see what the problem was, he claims that this upright dog, this man shaped like, with, with a dog's head, was running along the field in daylight. He said he even stopped in the middle of the field and squatted down. I don't mean squatted down to do business. It just stopped and appeared to squat down. Then it carried on and went up into the woods. Now, if I sound contradictive here. If, if this was real, as in flesh and blood, it would be seen it a lot more than these fragmented sightings. No, uh, I don't believe so. <laughs> You don't believe so? No, I don't. Uh, we, we have, uh, you, you know, Vic Cundiff, we, we have Dogman, and, and, and I've had ex- an experience with something that was in the woods and acted very much like that. I did not get to see it, but this creature is is only aggressive when they, they in the r- really rural areas there in the U.S., they sometimes will stare in windows. They love staring in windows. They love playing around. I think it's the younger. They'll ring doorbells. And they'll knock on doors and try to get you to come out. But in general, they they, they don't they're not making their presence known. Right, but you know what? I I, I have to agree with what uh, the Paul had said. Um, in, in a place such as England, uh, where you know there's few, I mean, there's still wild spaces, but we're talking about a very small area. Um, if this creature was indeed flesh and blood. There should be signs everywhere. You know, there should be footprints. There should be, you know, signs of predation and everything else. And as as Paul was stating, that's just simply not being found. Uh, you know, there's something else going on. It's not evident, and we don't have. I don't. I'm not disagreeing with you, Brian. For sake of disagreeing, because you could be absolutely on the money. But I don't think the UK's got the landmass right. to. to to, to, to hide one of these things. Um, and there's, there's other elements to it. You know, I mean, the Flixton cars, which we just touched on, the, the oldest house in England was found on the Flixton cars. Uh, they, all they found was wood and, and evidence that it was there. But what they also found on this 12,000-year-old site, because uh, they think it was the first place where early man settled or the first place that they've got right. evidence of it, was deer skull caps 
that had been shaped uh, with eyelets and straps, and they've not found them anywhere else. I don't think even in the world. And they found about 21 of these deer skull caps, and they believe that these early people were shaman. And I'm I'm not saying that's the reason for the Splickston werewolf, but if we think of the the sort of connotations of what uh, of shaman and transforming into animals and their belief system, it it makes it makes you wonder. If there's some origins from the fl- early men of Flixton, they call it the, the, the refuge that were built were called Carman's Spittle. Uh, you, you know, the, the Carman. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, there's just so many so different references to dogs as well in the area. There's Bandog, there's Bandog House, or was a few hundred years ago. I found it on maps in Flixton. I mean, it's just, just such a tiny area to have all these references to dogs. A few two miles away from Flixton is a place called Hunmanby, and if if you sort of study that word and then look into its meaning, it's Hundman. Hundman, yes, yes. Uh, and, yep. and, and this isn't me that's adapted it. It's, <laughs> this is actual fact. It was known as Farmstead of the Houndman. So you know, I think there's there's grains of truth in the Flixton werewolf. I've visited the area lots and lots of times. One report, one of the reports that you hear when talking of the Flixton werewolf is a vile stench. I went there in 2014 in this particular bit of woodland. Uh, I was, I was with my granddaughter actually, and a little dog, and we suddenly encountered this smell like rotten eggs. I don't know where it had come from. It was absolutely vile. Um, sulfur, and that's one of the re- that's one of the things that people report when they see this. We didn't see a thing. I went there on another occasion on my own, and I heard three loud tree knocks. But they were at the side of me. I couldn't work it out. It's not a it's not an ancient woodland. It's old woodland, but they're not huge. <coughs> sort of, you know, two foot thick trees. And these these knocks were at the side of me. It absolutely didn't frighten me. Sort of perplexed me. I stood, just thinking, "Wow, where's that come from?" In the same area that we had the smell. Um, It it really is a strange one, the Flixton werewolf. And it's what's odd is it's probably three miles from the coast. And if you go a little bit further up the coast, they have reports of a creature called uh, the the old shuck. Oh, right, the black shook. That's right, yeah. right. The, the black dog with huge glowing red eyes. That's that's probably nine miles away from the reports of the Flixton werewolf. Uh, at Whitby, you've got the Padfoot, which is a huge black dog with glowing eyes. I realise that you're not familiar with these locations, but they're all close. Yeah. Oh, Whitby is the uh, the site for uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. The, the novel uh, is set in uh, Whitby. That's correct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do know that. But but the thing is, though, Paul, that, that you continually point out again and again, which is really one of the reasons that I'm in the, the, the realm of the paranormal as an investigator, is this idea of elemental earth energies. And I think this kind of ties everything together. Uh, the man that you said that, you know, had, had come up to you and talked to you about, uh, you know, calling down the, the, the lights or the sun oh, or whatever. Light, yeah. Right. Um, it seems that he understood 
that you understood. You know what I mean? That that you had the, – the veil had been lifted from your eyes, so to speak, that you understood what was going on. And I'm not sure if it was as much as a warning as just a simply acknowledging that you knew what was going on. You know what I mean? That you were a, a human that understood something that was left – that is better left uncomprehensible. You know what I mean? I, and it I, seems like – Yep. It seems like certain areas are, again, I, I, I call this all the time, uh, paranormal hotspots, you know, Wi-Fi, where certain people have a propensity to tap into these earth energies. And and your idea of shamanism as related to the werewolf, I think that's a perfect explanation. Yes. I think a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with here, whenever you said there's no evidence left behind, I have no problem admitting that somewhere in the world there is an upright, walking, uh, canid type of creature. I have no, no problem saying that there is a flesh and blood animal like that. But I think in certain cases, we are talking about something that is very incorporeal, that there's something out there that is not tangible, that it's part of the spirit world more than anything. And I think when we talk about having guests like yourself on our program inside the Goblin Universe, this is actually what we're dealing with. We're dealing with uh, an idea of uh, another dimension every now and then bleeding into our world and it's really hard to um, wrap your head around it but, but I think you Paul uh, out of all the guests that we have talked about have actually been able to get a glimpse behind the veil that separates our world from the other world yeah it, it, well I think we can get a glimpse or at least an idea of of, I don't mean what it's like, but uh, an insight into this, the truth of what you've just said, and it, th there is a there is a reality to what you've just said. I mean, when we when you think about these these upright dogs, and then you go to Egypt and you've got Anubis. Yes. And, you, and I, I'm not sure which one is it, Exol or Zoltol. I think that's the Mayan uh, god of dog god of the underworld, and they all have a role to play, and they all seem to be guardians of the dead. Uh, then you've got the Skinwalkers, and I, I guess that I don't know whether they talk on your show, but Larry Sespooch would be an absolute mine of information because uh, he he can talk about the Skinwalker Ranch. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a great you know, great great information on that ranch. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, but we've we've got reports there of similar type creatures, um, and they seem to be breaking through from somewhere else. And as with Skinwalker Ranch, as with I'm not trying to label Bempton in the same category, but the, once again, as we've said before, and you've said, the location is the key. The, the burial, that's right. That's right. The burial mounds. I don't think that these people put their burial mounds in them places because we thought, oh, this is a nice place. I think they realised that that land, that area, was an area of great significance. Things had happened there. We, we've got to show our reverence to this, and we're going to put, we're going to bury our dead there, and we, and I think they knew the the significance of the location that they were put in the burial mounds. I think that things were happening in these ancient people's lives, that same as what they're happening in our lives. Only we think we're just a little bit more superior and finer intellect, <laughs> and probably our science is holding us back. You know, 
Yeah. I do. I agree. I agree. Even when we talk about the Dogman here in America, uh, the Beasts of Bray Road you might have heard about, you know, in the Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota areas. Uh, there's reports to this very day of uh, these creatures being sighted in and around uh, ancient burial mounds of, of uh, the Mississippian culture of the Native Americans. I mean, that's something that's prevalent. And I, and I spoke to somebody a couple of years ago that had a black dog sighting in upstate New York in it happened uh, at a cemetery on an Indian reservation. So there's a link. I mean, it, there is something going on with the idea of the land. There's something, some sort of uh, energy that allows for physical manifestations of what we would call dogmen and call Bigfoot and, and possibly even what we would refer to as extraterrestrials are nothing more than, um, you know, an earth energy that materializes itself in a way that we only comprehend them as something be from another world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I said when we were, when years ago, when we were looking at the walls, the East Yorkshire walls is an area, the UFOs, that when these things appeared and they, they'd got the ability to just appear, just switch on in the sky. And I, I, I remember writing at the time, they were almost like, it was almost like looking at a tear in the sky. They, they looked cartoonish. It, right, it was right, so yeah. strange observing them. And they, they were clearly from some, it was, I wonder if this is like a, a weakness in the fabric of, of our universe or our, our sphere of existence in these locations. And at certain times, these other existences, these other ident these other dimensions are able to Open enter up. out. Mm -hmm. You know, perhaps perhaps their only ability is to enter our sphere of existence. We don't have that ability. That's right. I agree with you one hundred percent, my friend. And I, and, and, and as I said, I mean, we're we're getting close to uh, running out of time here, and I don't want to be really abrupt at the very end there, uh, Paul. But okay. uh, you know, it was it was truly a pleasure having you on here uh, because you you look at this stuff uh, from a very intellectual point of view. Uh, you are uh, uh, you know a researcher of history, and you have proven uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that we. We look at this from a very Fordian perspective, uh, that there are natural causes that might be, uh, you know, uh, the, the that might be responsible for these sightings and these eyewitness accounts. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do, I do think uh, a lot. I think I, pro I think science is probably stopping us ex uh, embracing. I, I, I agree. I agree. Yes. Yeah, I, I keep on bringing back the idea of, uh, if we go back to the 5th century Greece, the idea of uh, Plato's Republic, and he has the idea of the cave allegory in there. Uh. And it, it, it's as if somebody all their life was chained and could only see the reflections of shadows cast on the wall in front of them. Could you imagine what life would be like if you simply turned around and saw the, the sources of those shadows. You know, it's a completely different world. And, and that's truly what we're talking about here. We're getting glimpses of another reality. Yeah, that's the exact word I would have used. We're just, we're just getting glimpses of, of another reality. And that's what's so confusing and su such a mind trauma to the people who experience uh, a, a, even seeing a UFO, let alone having an encounter with an, an alleged alien or what they perceive as an alien, and because I'm not even sure that these things are coming from space, if I'm being truthful, Brian, or yeah. wrong. No, I, I think I agree all, with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they might. Some of this stuff might be coming from space, but I hate 
fixing a tag on it and saying a mothership and a spacecraft and because we simply don't know. That's uh, right, that's right. All we know is that they are here and they are interacting with us. The the only problem we've got as a species is we don't we just don't have the vocabulary, we don't have the we don't have the intellectual tools to describe what we're seeing. We that's why perhaps in ancient times they described the alien beings, but alien I really hate saying the word, as hobs and goblins. That's right, that's right. Or angels as well. Well, yeah, I wish we'd more time because I, I, I visited two old ladies in a place called Sprotley about... Uh, in, they lived in Sprotley and they they had an alien encounter. Sandra, the daughter, believed that they were aliens. The mother, who was in her 80s, believed she'd seen a- angels. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul, we'll just have to have you on again. That's 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 the thing. Yes. Um, but uh, but before we run out of time, let let us at least talk about your book a little bit and where we can find it because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will immediately rush out there and and get a handle on it today. Okay. Yeah. Well, the book's for sale on Amazon. Um, if you're in the UK and you want to contact me, I'm, I'm and I don't mean bypass Amazon, but if you want to contact me, I'm quite happy to deal with you on a personal level to, to, to purchase the book, and you might save a few pounds. The book's called Truth Proof, The Truth That Leaves No Proof. It's it's readily available on Amazon. There, if you go onto Facebook, you can find a website, a truth, the Truth Proof website link, um, and there's a Truth Proof page. I have to apologise to any listeners. It's not been updated the last few weeks, simply because... We've had a few family problems. We're looking after four children here at the moment, uh, on and off with one of my other daughters who was helping us. Uh, I realise that's probably a lame excuse to somebody who doesn't know me, but that's the truth. <laughs> hey, life sometimes gets in the way, Paul. Curveballs, yeah. Paul. They just keep yeah. throwing them at us. So, so yeah, the, the book's available. I mean, I, I think that Waterstones are advertising it. Uh, I'm amazed, actually. I'll drop this one in, but I've heard nothing about it since. But uh, Warner Brothers bought a copy. Oh, very uh, nice. Well, very nice. Well, yeah, uh, it is very nice. I was sort of excited at the time, but I've heard nothing since. So I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath if that, that were around Christmas time. Well, I was just surprised to see a, 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 an order come in from Warner Brothers, you know, and I thought, oh, wow, that, this is interesting. I don't know what angle they were looking at it from or, or whether it was just an employee within Water, Warner Brothers who wanted to read it. I didn't inquire. I just sent the book off, and, and there you go. But, uh, yeah... Anybody who wants to read the book, I would suggest you read the reviews first because the, the good reviews and the genuine purchasers, not friends of mine. So <laughs> it's, it's easy. I could I could stand all day and say, oh, the book's brilliant and I've done all this research and you really must read it. It's worth every penny. Read the reviews and then form your own opinion. And if you think it's worth having a little uh, look at, by all means do. And if you want me to sign it, ask me when you purchase it. <clears throat> there you go. We can we get all this stuff taken care of right there. But I, I would love to have you back, my friend. I would love to have you back in, in, in June, if that's okay. And we'll talk about some more of the wild, strange things that's going over there in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I would love to. It'd be a pleasure. I'd love yeah, to be well, able to go over there with you, Ron, and just like you know, hang out on the beach and check out the UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go out and lay on the rocks until the uh, clouds lift, right? right? And then we'll go to the slaughtered lamb and then walk along the moors. It'll be fun. <laughs> Well, it would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. There is a full moon tonight, so yeah, all of our listeners. Oh well, no, this will actually be on next week. So I'll say that all of our listeners. I hope that you did something out there on April the 11th in regard to the full moon. It yes. should be spectacular. So 
fingers crossed. Once again, thank you very much for uh, allowing me to speak. Mr. Sinclair, thank you for entering Inside the Goblin Universe with Brian and I on the uh, Paranormal UK Radio Network, and we will have you back on in June, I promise you. Thank you. Thank you very All much, right. Paul. And and just, just in case the listeners want to know, they can contact Ron and I uh, with an email, questions at insidethegoblinuniverse.com, that you can send us an email. We can also ask, uh, send it forward something to Paul if you don't have direct access to Facebook. We have Inside the Goblin Universe group on there for discussion, and we'll link all our all, all of Paul's stuff on that, that uh, group right there for you. And uh, the website will be up shortly to again to have links if some of you don't want to be on facebook but we'll be on everything in a few more weeks that's right that's right all right folks until next time you've been listening to inside the goblin universe on the paranormal uk radio network and we'll see you again very soon